And we're off. Oh, you caught me by surprise. Mid, mid sip. Mid coffee. Sip. Gosh, I've had to wait a week to do that. I don't do it all that often, believe it or not. Yeah, we had a week off because we were... Oh, that's right, actually. Why? Oh, because I was at the priest convocation. That's yeah. Right. Gosh, I, I just can't think of anything more fun than... How many yeah. priests are there? We had like a hundred-ish, wow. I want to say. Maybe 120. Gosh, yeah. that's where I need to go. Do confession. No lines. No lines. The priest no convocation, lines. for those you don't know, I, th- I don't know if it's the same in every diocese. It's once a year, all the priests of Denver get together. And the only category that lay people can think of with priests is retreat. So everyone's like, how was your retreat? It's not a retreat. Trust yeah. me, it was not a retreat. Holy moly. How was your um, peaceful week of... It was, a, I don't want to get into details too much about yeah. the, the convocation, but it was, it was a little rough this year. It was a rough convocation. So it's just an interest. Yeah. That whole thing. When I found out about that, it's uh, cause I had heard about, uh, the Bishop, what's a Bishop conference? What is that? Yeah. The Bishop's conference. Yeah. Classic Steph. Love of my life. She, I think it was in focus. I think went out and like was help with that thing. Like would like walk, I forget which Bishop it was. It's actually kind of cool, but like would walk the bishops and like escort them okay. kind of deal. But classic Steph, front of the line. I want to go to DC or whatever and, and yeah. participate, um, which I would have my certain pre. I'd be like waiting for Bishop Barron. That'd wow. be my guy. Yeah. Bishop Barron is, you know, we're both fans. I like Bishop Barron a lot. He's uh, <laughs> there's an allegation that he mishandled some. Come on. Not as a bishop, but within Word on Fire. But he came out very strongly and said, no, 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 no. It's the other way around. We handled this great, so. uh, Oh, gosh. It's so easy to throw stones now. Um, Yeah. Would it be weird if somebody... (laughs) If somebody asked a bishop for an autograph? Um... I don't know. I think they'd be flattered. What about like the, like, do you think the Pope people are like waiting when he, you know, when it's kind of like the wrong category, I guess. I think you're right. Cause you're not, you're not supposed to be a celebrity. You're supposed to be a servant. Yeah. And so, and, and a priest. And so I think for bishops and the Pope, it's like, you know, the big thing usually is the Pope blessed my rosary. Or right. Right. He blessed my kid. You know, you don't hear it too often. Like he signed my shirt. Yeah. It's just my sports background. Like that's the, you want the like signed football up on your mantle. I like, yeah. want, I, I, you know, I don't know what I would have them sign. I just have always thought about that. Um, <laughs> that would be weird if they'd be like, what? No, it would be weird. Perfect. Yeah. I love that. Um, I've got my shout out real quick. Okay. Cause I, I, I went out the gates with Amroth per usual, but I got a super nice email from Megan Sullivan. Slash Book Miller. One of those things where she emails, but it still has Book Miller. Yeah. You know, I like imagine that's her name. maiden name. Yeah. Uh, and she's, she's wonderful. A, she's awesome. Yeah. And she just raved about having that intro. Like, I think she actually just turns it off after the intro. I mean, I, I'm amazed anyone had it on in the first place. <laughs> that's right. Or she did the opposite. She actually wrote me and just said, it drives her nuts. But uh, <laughs> either way, and we're off. Wow. Megan, Megan for the win. She's great. Yeah. Her, uh, 
her and her husband, John, and then they've got, uh, they've got kiddos in our school, but they're moving down uh, near another parish in South Denver. And so we, we hope to see them still, but you know, that's part of life. And it is. Uh, and if you leave Lords, may God have mercy on your soul. That's right. <laughs> no, just kidding. My big shout out this week. So, uh, not this past weekend, but previous weekend, I was in South Carolina for a week, uh, wedding for the Borsma family and the Lefevers. So big shout out to them. They actually threatened me. Oh, as they should. Yeah. Leslie. So Leslie Borsma, now Leslie Lefever. Love it. That's a name for you. Yeah. Her husband, Ricky, Mary Rogers is like, she just loves that name. She's like Ricky Lefever. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Either a salsa dancer or like an indie car driver, F1 driver. Yeah. I was, I was driving in a car with the guy, Joe, uh, to the hotel where I was staying and, uh, Tim Borsman was driving us and he told me that at his wedding, Ricky and Leslie came and he's like, I started, they danced all night. He said, and so I started referring to him as, uh, Ricky Saturday Night Lefevre. Ooh, oh, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Now you might not get that if you're younger, but Saturday Night Fever. I've actually never seen it. But neither have I. John Travolta's big breakout movie, I think. Right? Or maybe with Grease was his big breakout movie. Probably Grease. Yeah, Grease probably was. I never saw Saturday Night Fever, but neither did I. It's a play on Saturday Night Fever, Saturday Night Lefevre. So anyway, it, it was a beautiful wedding, though. Um, the whole Borsma clan. Just awesome. And had a great time with them all. Hopefully my homily was okay. And uh, one more shout out actually was this guy, Brandon, who is close with Leslie, who probably doesn't listen, but he's just a great guy and he was super friendly and he's not Catholic. And guess where he goes? (sighs) The Archbishop's house. (laughs) Good guess. No, he goes to Red Rocks. Oh, cool. And so I told him about you. Yeah. I was like, there's this total loser. That's right. do a podcast with, but him and his wife, his wife is an ex-Catholic or non-practicing Catholic and they were just great people, but they, I kept like being everywhere with him over the course of the weekend. And Brandon was like, this is a setup. He's like, what's going on here? He's like, he's like, they're trying to set me up. I'm like, amen. That's right. So I was was pushing him for our CIA. So hopefully we can get them. But, um, the Lefevre and the Borsma clan, we love all you guys. Uh, they really, they really are wonderful families, and we wish a long and happy marriage to uh, Ricky and Leslie. I should also mention this: Heidi is Leslie's sister. Okay. Her husband Jim is a pro golfer. Ooh. And I did not know they were telling me about how hard it is to be a pro golfer because you just travel all the time. Yeah. Like, Working your way up, I would imagine, you know, as you're going through to make it to like the PGA. But I've always said, looking back, if I would have put the hours in, that I did into football, I 100% would have gone golf or tennis. Because if you can make it to like the top, yeah, one, you can, maybe not as much with tennis, but you could play for a very long time. Um, but you get to travel to like the prettiest spots of the world. But this is what Heidi was saying though. The hard part about that is, is, you know, he, he just travels constantly. Yeah. And so it's hard in the family because you're just always on the road. Right. And you kind of fly into a place, you've got like a practice round 
And then you've got the first day, and I guess like there's different cutoffs for golf. I don't really watch yeah. golf. I would watch it for gym, but uh, a couple of days. And if you don't, make, if you make the cut, it's great. But then you've got like two more days or something. That's right. And so it's just hard because your family just you're away from them a lot. And so, yep. um, yeah, I think you fly it like you're there Wednesday to Sunday. If you make the cut, because I think you get in, you have your practice round Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, that's my experience. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I only made the cut, you know, those three times, but. And that was so. that putt-putt tournament? Yeah, right? Nice. Amen. <laughs> so anyway, huge shout out, though, to all those people. We love you. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for being a part of Lords. I still can't believe people listen. Um, okay, I want to dive in. We said we, we would. Go. I said we would. I want to dive in because I thought it was such an interesting question. And we're back. And we're back. Yeah. We are. That, that may have very well been our shortest rant mm. to kick off. I also want to uh, acknowledge really quick that I hope the Catholic stuff crew yeah. really appreciates that when we um, throw their name out, like they've seen a lot of growth since we because started. Of us. Th- that's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I hope they, I just hope they genuinely appreciate that. Well, you know, Father Mike genuinely, genuinely appreciates us. That's right. So hopefully a listener can pass that on. Um, but, okay, uh, I forget, what was his name? Um, so we've got a question from Kyle Mason. Kyle Mason. Uh, who is, I forget, where is he? Let me look at it really quick. Cleveland? I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, yes, so he lives in the Cleveland area. Listener, thanks. It's amazing. I know. Yeah, mind-blowing. How? But anyway. Kyle, we like really appreciate you writing in. You had a great question. And uh, Kyle served in the Marine Corps. Uh, he was in Iraq, and he's just seen a lot of death and different things. So first of all, thank you for your service to our country. That's right. We really want to honor chills. our men and women in the military who serve our country. And then he works as an EMS helicopter pilot now, which Patrick and I were talking. We're not 100% sure we, we know what that means, but... Sounds intense. I did. I Googled <laughs> it before because I was like, it sounds heavy. And it, yeah. my understanding is it's, uh, he will show up. He's the pilot, shows up to an accident. And it's one of those accidents where it's like, okay, we got to move faster than by road. and Like flight for life kind of stuff. That's right. And you're doing heavy stuff. Um, and or it also said like from hospital, hospital. But even in that scenario, but I just get chills when I think of anybody in the military and what you experience, see, do all the above. Yeah. And so he had a question about the practicality of what do we do as Catholics when we're around someone who's really in their last moments of their life? And we want to get to that. We might talk a little bit about death in general, but I do want to, it reminded me of one story I wanted to tell. There's a Father Garonsky story. So Father Garonsky was a Jesuit and just a huge influence in my life. And, uh, I don't know if you know this, you might, Patrick, but the Jesuits in our time have, can sometimes have a little bit of reputa- reputation of not being exactly orthodox. And uh, Father Gronsky was very orthodox, meaning that he accepted all of the church's teachings and really thought with the church. Um, but the reason I'm bringing that up is just because, uh, so the story, Father Gronsky, there's a story he would always tell where when he was younger, there was one of the older Jesuits who was like on his deathbed and the community's kind of with him trying to comfort him. And this guy was 
really scared of dying. Really, really scared. Which I think all of us could probably sympathize with. Yeah. But he's really scared. And so one of the other priests said, turned to him and said, Father, this is unbecoming of a, of a priest. Jesus is merciful and good. And apparently this priest looked at me and said, it's not Jesus I'm scared of. It's St. Ignatius, who was the founder of the Jesuits. Yeah. And I always thought that story. So St. Ignatius was a Spaniard who was like super intense. And the Jesuits, one of the big jokes in the church today is sometimes the Jesuits don't exactly follow what St. Ignatius tells them to do. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so Jesus will welcome this guy and be merciful, but St. Ignatius is going to be there to jack you in the face. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's going to have yeah. some words. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, it's a, uh, oh man, it, it reminds me, especially like for you being a priest and what you see with anointings and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I, I don't handle it well. Like I don't handle hospitals well. I don't handle accidents well. Um, any of that kind of stuff. And I don't know if you remember this, we were on a bike ride going up, um, not lookout, I went down South, um, uh, Deer Creek Canyon, Deer Creek. Yeah. And there was a wipeout. There was, um, yeah, I do remember that. And she had yeah. wiped out and it was like, I think that was on high grade. Hi, that's right. Yeah. And it was one of those things. I mean, she was okay, but was waiting for the paramedics. Yeah. Um, and it was like, what do you say? Like, if it was that serious and, and kind of to his question of how do you handle it? Um, and what do you say in those moments of like, I, I like froze. I was like, what do we do? I have no idea what to do here. And like, how do you actually handle that in a confident way? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and just to start out the gate, I think, uh, I do have a couple of small ideas, but I would also say, you know, just to Kyle, this is a hard question. Yeah. And, 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 there's, an, and there's an important reason why it's a hard question. And uh, for all of us today, I want to expand our conversation a little bit that as Catholics, we need to be familiar with death. Which can sound, you know, it sounds great. Great podcast. Yeah, can't wait. Hey, awesome. Yeah. (laughs) The world today, right? We, many of us have thought about this. We hide certain things in our culture that are uncomfortable for us. Yeah. So, um, kind of the way that we are so worried about how we look all the time. Uh, we hide death and pretend that it's not real. So we put, uh, we put all of our old people in nursing homes. Yep. And I, and I know this is more complex than, I don't want to oversimplify this, but I think there's a, there's a great line from um, Stanley Hauerwas, your favorite and mine. That's right. Stanley Hauerwas was a theologian at Duke. I, I think an Episcopalian. Uh, very thought-provoking. Don't agree with him on everything, but very intelligent. And, um, but he's a great, he gave a commencement address to, I think it was at Johns Hopkins to a bunch of MDs and he talked about death and this, this, this speech is probably 20 years old now, but he gave this commencement address and it was fascinating. Um, and he talked to these doctors where he says, he's basically trying to get them to think bigger than they're used to thinking. And and what he says is he says, uh, we pretend that we can avoid the question of death in our culture. 
And he has this great intro. He says this, he says, and think about this, Patrick, this is, uh, this is really interesting. I probably told you this before, but he, he quotes some survey, you know, from the, you know, like 2008 or something, who knows. And he says, you know, there's a survey out there and it, it asked Americans if you could die, if you had to choose the way you were going to die, how would you want to die? And what do you think Americans said? Survey says. In their sleep? Yep. In their sleep. Yes. That's one of them. There's a couple other things about it. Like, do they want to know about it or do they not want to know about it? Mm, not know yep, about it. That's what they said. So in your sleep, you don't want to know about it. And then the other big one was uh, an obvious one, which is pain-free. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yep. Sounds about right. Yeah. Right? It's fair. Uh, and so you, you kind of, you know, you read this commencement address. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And then he hits you right between the eyes. <laughs> and he says, you know, we didn't have, we don't have surveys from the Middle Ages. But he says, but everything we know about the Middle Ages and times that where more people were Christians is that they would have answered that question exactly the opposite from us. Really? Yeah. So think about it. So they, so he says they, they would have wanted, they wanted to know about it when it was coming. Okay. So as a Christian, why do you want to know when your death's coming? Make peace. Yeah. And make peace with who? Friends, family, and the Lord. Yeah. Right. God and others. Right. So, yeah. So in the middle ages, you actually, you want to know when you're going to die because you want a good confession. Yeah. Okay. Right? So, uh, that's one thing. Maybe you would want it in your sleep. Maybe not. I don't know. But the other one was you actually would, a lot of Christians from what we could tell would have actually wanted a lot of suffering around their death because it's an, a chance, it's a chance to kind of make up for their sins in a sense. Move up a few levels penance. on purgatory. I mean, honestly, it's a way to do penance. Yeah. And uh, so he talks about how, and he, here's the killer line. Harawas says, the difference is in the modern world, we fear death. In the Middle Ages, they feared God. Oh. And, and with the proper sense, right, fear of the Lord does not mean I'm terrified of him in like kind of a slavish fear, but, this, yeah. the, but, but a Christian fear of, God is real and I have real sins in my life. And what matters about death is I'm about to go see God. And I just love that line. Oh man, that's heavy. I've never really thought of it that way. I mean, there would be so when my mom passed, she passed in her sleep. And yep. I've always kind of said unexpected. There were no health issues. Um, went to sleep and didn't wake up. And there was something, um, envious isn't the right word, but I, I kind of walked away being like, at least she went without pain. Like, yeah, you know, I don't know what happened or why I am bummed. I wish I would have known. Like, there's a lot of things I want to ask Maybe childhood, yeah. her upbringing, things I want to clear, like any of that kind of stuff. But then on the flip side too. So Gianna's, um, pediatrician. Yep. Um, Bounces back and forth between one hospital, but then the other that's closer to us is the Children's Hospital up north. Yeah, I know that one. Man, I, again, I struggle with all things like that, but walking in there, and, and it made me think of, you know, um, enduring and suffering and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Like, to me, there's an aspect of just like, that is unfair. Like, 
that's the part of, and, and even if it's not children, um, it's just that suffering of, and even to the question, if you're a Marine and seeing somebody trying to defend their country, but then get, you know, horrific things happen. Yep. It's like, man, uh, would have been nice to go peacefully, but I get it. I, it's, it's a different mindset. It is. It is a different mindset. And I think, um, I don't know how I'll go, obviously. And I, I don't, I imagine I'll be pretty scared to die. Yeah. I, I mean, right now I would be. Um, would you be scared though? Would it be coming from a place of like, you're scared to meet one of your saints or to meet God and face whatever, or also fear of death from like the sadness around the people you leave behind? Somebody, one of my best friends said this of um, the, when my mom passed, um, death is so tough. And we could probably agree or disagree on this thing, but he had said a comment that at the time made sense. Death is so tough, not for the person that dies, but for the people that are left behind. And especially in my circumstance where I sure. didn't have a chance to do anything or other than just react. Sure. Um, but if I had a place of like, peace around death it would make it a lot easier but there's definitely a fear yep and i fear of like when that time comes how it affects the family yeah i mean if i'm honest my my fears around death primarily will be a judgment even though i have i have from confidence in, from you yeah <laughs> uh even though i have confidence in god's mercy and i know it um i have sin in my life and i'm a yeah. priest and that kind of freaks me out, you know? And yeah. Hell is real and it's eternity's a very long time. Yep. And so I'm, there's that aspect. Um, even though at least intellectually, I think also on a deeper level than that, I do have confidence of like the good news. Yeah. You know, that none of us is perfect and I do love God. So I have, I have great confidence there. I think the other big one, honestly, and I think for me, me as a priest is probably a little bit different where you're going to have children after you. Yeah. And, um, you know, most, I, I feel like women usually outlive men, you know, so there's probably fear for your family and like, are they going to be okay? I think there's also though, just the fear of the unknown. Yeah. Balthazar has a powerful line where he says, uh, as much as we can be united in this world to each other, each of us must pass through the door of death alone. And, there, that's, I think that's a big part of it. And this, that actually transitions me at least to kind of one of the things um, I want to say to Kyle. So practically, Kyle, like, what do we do? There's th there, I have two thoughts that are very basic. They're not easy to do, but they're, um, they're not complex. And I think the biggest, the biggest things in life, like we all fear suffering. Uh, none of us really desires to suffer. But if I, if I know I'm going to suffer, probably the number one thing I would like to have, if I know that it's going to happen, or if I'm scared of something, is I just don't want to be alone. During that time? Yeah. In the last, okay. Whether it be something as trivial as a hard workout, you do it better with somebody else. Yep. Or if it's something um, much more difficult. And so with death, I do think in, with Balthazar's quote, when you actually die, no one goes with you. 
Now, hopefully, I think we can, our faith can say that your guardian angels and patron saints and the Blessed Virgin could be there with you. I think that's a great thing to ask for. Uh, bless you. Gesundheit. <laughs> Sorry. Felt that um, thing winding up. St. Joseph is the patron of a good death because presumably when he died, Mary and Jesus were both there. Oh. Yeah, because you've talked about that's a whole, a whole other thing. But it's only up until mm, when they find Jesus in the church. But there, there's very there's a point, and then there's very there's no reference of Joseph Correct, in yeah. the New Testament, right? Yeah, the last so, time we see Joseph is when they find Jesus in the temple. Yes, I when, nailed it. Yeah, you're right. When Jesus is 12 years old. Okay. Now they refer to him, but they but they but he is not there. They they'll say, "Isn't this the carpenter's son?" Hmm. Or as I think a stonemason because of Tim Gray, but that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast is I don't think Joseph was a carpenter, but, um, but you, that's a great thing to pray for. Hey, when I die, I don't want to be alone. And wouldn't it yeah. be like when you go into something, you have no idea what it is. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Like some of my favorite saints and my patron saint, St. Patrick, St. Paul is my confirmation saint. Uh, also like St. Augustine, who is one of my all-time favorite saints or St. John Vianney, who's the patron saint of parish priests. How wonderful, especially Mary, would it be like when you're scared of something to have the saints by your side? Yeah. That'd be amazing. God, it, I know we've talked about this one too, but I guess with my bike accident. Yeah. And in that moment, obviously I survived, but had I have not, and if it was still the same thing, like I have, you know, I'm actually thankful it, it wasn't a sandlot moment that my guardian angel was some like hot babe. Said I get this old dude shirtless holding my hand, um, which I am convinced he was not there. But in that moment, you could look at it from a standpoint of like, okay, I flipped over a car, land on my head, blah, blah, blah. And if I had passed, it's like, man, brutal. But as soon as I woke up, I was comfort. There was comfort there. Yeah. And I guess I would pray that moment. Everything was, was very, it sucked. Sorry, Miss Larkin, but um, <laughs> it was not great, but I had a sense of peace there. And so yeah. I would hope for, I would hope for that, that if it was going to be on your way out and to have a guardian angel, a saint, just like yeah. guiding you in that moment. Yeah. Something like that. Right. And so, so that we can't control that. We can pray for that. Uh, I think Kyle knows that. Yeah. But I think on a human level, though, we can do our best. And so I always think, so my, my grandfather on my mom's side, Grandpa Joe, when he went into hospice, he, they sent him home. And he had one of those hospital beds, you know, yep. uh, in his home in, uh, in Broomfield. and. I remember going to see him when I kind of say goodbye. Yeah. And it was beautiful. He was surrounded by his children and grandchildren. And uh, what a great death. He had had a priest come for confession. He had been anointed. And so, so I think, you know, as someone who is, um, who is in the medical kind of profession and helping save lives, I think Kyle, like, so the first thing I would say to you is the fact that you're there is huge. And I would not underestimate that. 
Mm. I've, I go to a lot of hospitals and anoint people who it looks like no, no one will be with them when they die. And yeah. they're just laying in a hospital bed by themselves. And so I think there, there's a very beautiful human thing of even if it's someone who doesn't know you, just to be with another soul yep. is big. The second thing I would recommend to you is uh, at Easter time, uh, one of the things we do, uh, at least as an option in the Mass, is that we can do the renewal of baptismal promises. And so if someone's um, has consciousness and if they're able to respond, even if they could like nod their head or something, and if you know they're a Catholic, so there's a lot of caveats to this one, but a wonderful thing would be to renew their faith. And so to just ask them, you might not get the words all right, but do you reject Satan? Well, you're saying that he could ask this. Yeah, you okay. could ask him that. And if, if you knew in some way, if you saw like a crucifix on him or something, yeah, you'd say, uh, do you reject Satan? I do. And maybe they could only nod their head or, or wink their eye or something. Yeah. Um, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? I do. You might not remember all those. <laughs> Is that the St. Michael prayer? What just happened to me? No, that's part of the baptismal <laughs> promises. But, but even if it's just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? You know? What a, when I die, what a beautiful thing. Like, I was baptized as a baby. Gosh, this is, I, I'm, everything I makes know, me emotional. This, yeah. But I was baptized um, as a baby. And like my parents and my godparents, you know, vocalized for me the act of faith. What a beautiful thing for the last moment of my life, if I could say, I believe in the Father. Hmm. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, to go into eternity confessing faith in God. Uh, Jesus, by the way, <clears throat> this is good stuff, man. Yeah. Uh some of you might know this. So Jesus, uh, in Matthew's gospel, when he cries out, uh, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. And this, we know the rabbis did this in the ancient world is that they would quote one line from a section of scripture. The Psalms were especially prominent with this. And for, for a culture that loved scripture, that would evoke that entire Psalm. And so in Psalm 22, Jesus cries out in anguish and that doesn't seem like an act of faith, but Psalm 22 is an act of faith. How so? So let me read this to you. So that's the first line. The very first line of Psalm 22 is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm turning my pages. Um, so it's, we're not going to read the whole psalm because it's too long. But, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? All right, so, so it's a very, whoever wrote this psalm is suffering. Where are you, God? Yeah. Sounds a lot like Jesus. Like, Father, where are you? Is this the same person that wrote Midday Prayer? <laughs> the church, well, <laughs> maybe. That's another question. Um. 
there's a lot of prophecy in Psalm 22 about the crucifixion. So, um, in verse 16, dogs are round about me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. Come on. For my clothing, they cast lots. They cast, I I mean, this is. I don't know if I've ever read Psalm 22, but yeah, I know this, this is foreshadowing. So the church uses this at different times, but on Good Friday, this is the Psalm. So when you go to liturgy on Good Friday. That's right. We sing Psalm 22. So huge. This person's in extreme darkness. It's a prophecy of the crucifixion. But you might think, oh, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's in a place of despair. But actually, this whole psalm is a psalm of someone who's honest with their suffering. And I think we, that's a great lesson for death. Yep. Don't pretend. It's okay to say this is hard. Yeah. And scary. It and is. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And yet, you can still have faith. And so the psalm ends up being a psalm of praise and trust in God. Um, there's so much here, but so, um, verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you sons of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you sons of Israel. Verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the affliction. So Jesus quotes this and the psalmist is saying, even in this great suffering, God has not forgotten those who are afflicted and who suffer. Um, he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Uh, Psalm 24 or 22, I'm sorry. Psalm 22 will go on. And so even in the midst of Jesus's tremendous suffering, he knows that God is there. He knows the father is present and it, it will end with a call for all the nations of the world to praise God. Oh, isn't that incredible? Yeah. And so I think, I think that's like, you know, this is a lot to kind of talk about, but I think Kyle, like I imagine in your professional life as a pilot, you know, there's probably times you don't, you can't, you're not gonna be able to do all this. Right. You know, you're not going to be able to sit down with someone and say, do you know about Psalm 22? (laughs) But you can, you could help people. You can't force them, but you could help people to, Hey, are you scared? Yeah, I'm scared. But do you trust God that he's good and he's here with you? Yeah, I do. Right? And maybe maybe you just have a, a scripture verse that you've memorized and you just offer God praise because you because you because you trust him. Yeah. Right? And so like so when I die, uh that would be a beautiful thing to do is uh I didn't at my bap- baptism, I didn't get to profess my faith. But what if my last thing I did on this earth was to make an act of trust and a faith in God? And sorry, one last, there's always one more thing. It's like my homilies. There's a tradition in the church with the popes with this, and they would do this with different monks in the ancient world. But um, I think it's, I think that's where it comes from is from the monks. But like John Paul II, when he died, they, uh, they would have someone in the room at all time when they knew he was close to his death just reading the gospels. Wow. And I just think that's, you know, again, you probably can't do that while you're flying the helicopter, 
but I think just in some way, I, I, I don't think you can underestimate how beautiful it is to have a ministry of presence and just to lift a person's heart to God. Yep. Say, yep, we're all going to die. The time's going to come. And in your final moments, God is here. He's here with you. And um, I don't know. Those are kind of my thoughts. As you're saying that, it's, it's pretty powerful for me to think when you reflect on death and, and that feeling of you don't want to be alone yeah. in those moments, how it uh, could put you in a position of while you're living, how important it is for community. Like nobody yeah. wants isolation. And you may have gone through stuff in life that puts you in that position of like, it's hard to be around or whatever it is, but how important that is of, even if you don't say the right thing, I mean, literally just being there to hold their hand, you may not know them. Yeah. And if you can perform any of what you just said, like so powerful, but you yearn for that, not to mention, you know, Kyle's in a position of kind of like you, like you've said it, like I've, I've asked you before when you go to an anointing or you do a funeral and you've come back and you're like, no, it's actually really beautiful. And yeah, it puts you in that perspective of how to live in the moment and to live. You never know when it's your time is coming. Um, and the last thing there, I remember when I was confirmed, there was a part of me that I was like, I want to be baptized. Like I was kind of disappointed in my age to not like yeah, right. get baptized. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I was baptized as a baby, but okay. Like I didn't, I didn't do that. Yeah. So to be able in that moment, your last couple breaths to make that, that's uh, your opportunity as an adult. Yeah. To own it. Could you do that again? If you had the opportunity and you are by yourself to ask yourself that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think if you're by yourself, you don't put it in question format, <laughs> but you can just make it. This is what the church calls an act of faith. Okay. And all it means is like in your, in your intellect, in your will. So in your soul, and you don't even have to say it out loud. Sometimes it helps us to say it out loud. Yeah. And in fact, I would encourage that. Okay. I think there's some kind of strength that comes from just saying, I believe in God, the father. Yep. Right. And if you can remember any of the parts of the church's liturgy around that, you know, think of the creed on Sunday. That's yep. another thing you just do is just profess the creed. The creed is Trinitarian. It, walks through the three persons of God. Yep. Um, but just to choose that, to just say, it, it's not merely a feeling, but it's a choice. It's an act of your free will. And to just say it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And that's just powerful. Yeah. It's not just like, wow, I felt something, but it's like, I chose, I choose to believe uh, and to trust in God. That's an act of faith. Um, and that's something I would also, of course, I think hopefully you know this if you're listening, that's a beautiful thing to do, not just in the, the last moments, but all through your life. Yeah. And at different moments, um, you know, a great thing to do is when you have doubts which all of us do, we all have doubts. And I, I think it's important that we have doubts because that means we're engaged and we're wrestling. Yeah. And what you can do in those moments is you can say, 
I don't get everything and I'm feeling this doubt, but I, God, the father, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you. And that, that will strengthen your will. Yeah. What about, so to timestamp this episode, this last weekend was all the big news about <clears throat> all the abortion stuff in the Supreme yeah, Court. Yeah, they leaked, the, they leaked an opinion on the Dobbs case written by um, Alito. Yep. And it led to um, Ruth's whatever that organization. Ruth sent us the, That's pro, right. the radical pro-abortion group. Yeah. And, and they wanted to show up and protest during mass. And I think they did in LA for sure. New York, a couple different places. It okay. seems like it wasn't that widespread at all, but, but they were calling for some really, really just vile things. Yeah. And, um, and even, and actually we, <laughs> it got brought up during COVID as well. And um, ha- the, the sense of having faith, which is the whole purpose here, but knowing that like you believe in God and then the good news and all that kind of stuff. But in that circumstance, Steph and I, we ended up going to like the Saturday night <laughs> mass. Cause I was like, I'm going to outsmart these people. I don't, I don't want to be around. Let I, again, I joke, but less about what they would do more about what I would do. I, yeah. I don't know if I would handle it appropriately. Um, but I was like, they probably don't know about this Saturday night deal. The vigil mass. Yeah. yeah. And when we went to go in and uh, go take a seat, I wanted to be in a good view. And Steph was like, definitely coming more from a place of like, look, this is, I trust in God type thing. And if this is my time, this is my time. I'm like, yeah, but I'd still like to know if they're coming, like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, right. and so to have this like sense of armor almost and kind of be like, I'll walk in front of the bus like this. If that's what it takes, it will, yeah. I will go there because I believe and, and I trust in God and all that kind of stuff. But also like, maybe it's for me either coming from a place of, uh, you know, I'm not ready. And therefore, I want to have the view of the window. And if they are coming, then either I'm grabbing Jeej and we're hiding or I'm going to go and try to prevent it. Like, I don't yeah. know what it is. Um, I just also don't want to be a sitting duck and be like, this is my moment. It's my moment. Right. But there is like, then it kind of makes me question, do I not have the full faith? Like, at, at what point, how do you kind of balance that of like, this is it. And I'm okay with that because I'm not afraid of death. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this is why in the early church, the martyrs were held in such high esteem Ooh, yeah. is because it, uh, G.K. Chesterton has a great uh, chapter where he, he contrasts martyrdom with suicide and the differences. And there's an important caveat to that, I think. I think Chesterton, he lived in the, he lived in the 19th century and Chesterton did not have all the advantages we have of understanding psychological problems with suicides and chemicals and all those kinds of things. So I think if you ever read Chesterton on this, you have to take it with a big grain of salt. But his point about the martyrs is the point I want to get to is important. As he says, you know, a martyr, they don't die because they want something to end. They die because they believe in something good Mm. and they want to affirm the good, which is like the opposite suicide, you know, as, as we can at least think of it sometimes is as, the world's a bad place. And he says the martyr is actually the opposite of that. The martyr dies because he affirms what is good. And mm. 
Yeah. Isn't that powerful? See, me personally, I would rather not be hung upside down and die as a martyr in Rome, right? Like, yeah, that to me is a heavy circumstance. I'm like, yeah, and I think that's why you know they were they were held up so greatly by the early church and the the cult of the martyrs. So the cult, cult just nobody really knows what that word means. Cult is a word that has to relate with like worship, okay. and um. The of course we don't worship martyrs, but what what but their their feast days were incorporated into Christianity extraordinarily. The earliest voices of Christianity are already talking about them, and um, relics and all these kinds of things they pop up super super early in Christianity. Some of the earliest things that are not part of the story of Jesus himself. But anyway, so I think, um. There's a, there's a balance for us of what what orders things for us is something that's good, yeah. Not what's difficult, right? We've talked about that before, and so I think with you, like you know, well, should I want to prevent a bunch of people from dying? Yes, like that's a good thing. It's, yeah, like having faith doesn't mean we're stupid. We're like you know, it's kind of like in in the Book of Maccabees. The Greeks, I'm getting off topic here, but it's related, I think. Yeah. In the in First Maccabees, what happens is the Seleucid Empire. So they're I'm getting way too much in the weeds. But when Alexander the Great dies, his kingdom is divided. And we call part of that the the Seleucid Empire, and there's also the Ptolemaic Empire. And but the Seleucids come into Israel and they attack the Jews. And there's a really interesting scene where the Seleucids, they want to conquer the Jews. And what they do uh, is they realize the Jews won't fight on a Sabbath. Wow. And okay. so they start attacking them on the Sabbath. Oh, and there's, just rude. And so there's this huge question in Maccabees about what happens now if they come after us on a Sabbath, do we fight back and break the Sabbath law? Or at least what they oh. perceived as it. Or, and, and then there's not going to be any of us left. Then we're all going to be wiped out from the face of the earth. Yeah. And you could see some people today, right. Saying like, no, I'm a good Catholic. Like I'm going to, I'm going to obey Sabbath. I'm not going to fight. Yep. And like, we can admire some heroism there. Um, the interesting thing is the Jews decide to fight back and let's see if I can find this really quick. I don't have this pass. Wow. Um, so let's see. Um, oh, that's deep. It, as you, as you pull that up, it reminds yeah. me of that book, Lone Survivor. I'm pretty sure it's out of Lone Survivor. Um, again, the military book, but where he was the, the helicopter crash, he was in Pakistan or wherever it was, Afghanistan. He was walking out trying to get to like the safe zone uh -huh. and he came across, um, a shepherd. And he knew in that moment, there was like three choices, let him live and go back and just be a shepherd and hope he doesn't tell anybody, kill him because odds are he's going to go back to the village and they're going to send people after the American uh -huh. or capture him and bring him with you. And it was like the, the catch 22 of all things. And it's kind of the same scenario of, do you fight on the Sabbath or sit back and, you know, 
what's God's will will happen. Yeah. So this is, um, uh, so, um, it's, it's first Maccabees, uh, chapter two. And so, uh, Many pursued them and overtook them. They encamped opposite them and prepared for battle against them on the Sabbath day. And they said to them, enough of this, come out and do what the king commands and you will live. So this is the Greeks, the Seleucids saying this. But they said, we will not come out, nor will we, nor will we do what the king commands and so profane the Sabbath. Uh, the enemy hastened to attack them, but they did not answer them or hurl a stone at them or block up their hiding places. But they said, let us all die in our innocence. Heaven and earth testify for us that you are killing us unjustly. So they attacked them on the Sabbath and they died with their wives and children and cattle to the number of a thousand persons. Uh, so in verse 41, just a few verses down, Mattathias and his friends learn of it. And in verse 41, it says, so they made this decision that day. Let us fight against every man who comes to attack us on the Sabbath day. Let us not all die as our brothers died in their hiding places. And one last piece, which is fascinating. Some scripture scholars, I, I just think this makes so much sense, is in the New Testament, Jesus gets in trouble for quote-unquote breaking the Sabbath. Which he doesn't really break it, he fulfills it. But, uh, for instance, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus goes and enters a synagogue in verse 9. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, what man of you, if he has one sheep, and it falls into a pit, and on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus heals him. There's a parallel passage, I don't I have to look it up, that talks about Jesus says, is it lawful to do good or to kill on the Sabbath? And he's it really looks like he's referring to the Maccabees. Ooh. Okay. And so so it's interesting, like Jesus wants to point us towards the real purpose of things and not get tied up in scrupulosity. That would be my argument, at least, is that you've got to you have to understand the purpose of a thing. Uh and not major in the minors. Yeah. I think that's a great example of this. And so like if someone came in on a Sunday, should we be smart about it? Yeah, I think we should. And if worse comes to worse and we have to die as martyrs, then God give us the courage to do so. But, uh, but yeah, like I think, I think your attitude, Patrick, like I think it's good. Like I look at it, um, the difference kind of, I think the church's teaching when it comes to killing is if it's in defense, right. Or like, yeah. And it has to be proportionate. So you okay. can't like, if someone's, if you're going to like punch me in the face, that doesn't mean I can shoot you in the head. Got it. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And you don't always have that kind of a like rational thought. Yeah. But basically, yeah. Like, if you have the possibility, you, you should use the least amount of force as is necessary to protect. And with the caveat that like in the heat of a moment, 
it's kind of hard to be like, well, but I think I could shoot him in the calf. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just take him down so then he can be arrested. I, yeah, I guess my two extremes when I think of that scenario being like something like that happens and you just sit in the pew and you're like, okay, if I'm one that receives the bad end of the stick on this, then fine. Versus like I sat down, I joked earlier, like in my mind, I'm like, okay, I don't have a concealed weapon deal. So I'm going to carry around a ninja star that when they walk in, (laughs) I am going to like back to the ninja. That's right. I'm going to throw it and hope that it sticks. Like that's where my kind of like, and I am definitely the latter of, Um, okay, like we're going to do this. And it's, it's, that's why I don't trust myself in those situations. But, um, it's kind of that paradox of like, okay, well then am I wrong by thinking that way? And instead not necessarily be passive, but just this like overwhelming kind of trust of like, if this is what God has called me to, then okay. Shame on that person for walking in and doing that. But, um, I always kind of feel a guilt in my stance of like, does that make me a weak Catholic or weak in my faith and aggressive and, and need more therapy? I don't know. But I also, I think the way I would put it is, and there's two, there's a number of pieces on this. One would be, I think we have to take it seriously. Like I know a lot, a lot of good Catholics kind of in our circles, they're very big defenders of like self-defense, which is true. Okay. And I think, and I think they're right about that. This is just me speaking. But I think we have to be really serious about understanding that Jesus conquered the world through an act of self-sacrifice. Okay. Um, and it, there are some very strong passages in the Gospels where Jesus, you know, you think of the Garden of Gethsemane, where Peter pulls out, I think it's in Mark's Gospel, where he pours out his, pulls out his sword, he cuts off the slave of the high priest, Malchus, he cuts off his ear. Yep. And Jesus says, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. I think there's, we have to think carefully about this, but I think the operative category is courage. And so pacifism, uh, or pacifism, sorry. Pacifism, I think, squares pretty strongly with the gospel. But I think, I think the greater category in my mind is I love that line. I'm sure I've mentioned it numerous times on the podcast where Aquinas says, courage is the willingness to suffer for what is good. And so I think a lot of times we're caught up in, can I do this bad thing or not? But the martyr is fixated on what's good. And I think that's what self-defense should be about. So for you, you're a church, there's a threat. You absolutely should be concerned about your wife and your daughter. Right. Right. Yep. And I think, I think a lot of us, hopefully that's where the emphasis should lie is I don't want to like do X, Y, or Z, whatever it might be, but I'll do anything for my wife and my daughter and I will protect them. And I think that's kind of the right attitude. Uh, But I just think, I just think we need to let the Jesus's words about kind of nonviolence. I think we easily, as kind of Orthodox Catholics, we don't want to be like the kind of hippies who are like, oh, don't step on that bug. Yeah. 
But I think we actually, we need to listen to what Jesus actually says about it and take it seriously. That at least makes me feel better. I mean, I, even that time um, we were at a gathering at the grotto, I think it was one of my first, and you were asked the question, um, it had to do with um, kind of... Same-sex attraction. Same-sex attraction. Yes, thank you. Um, And it started off in a very aggressive manner. And I like started creeping forward of like, oh boy, if he, if this escalates, like I'm prepared to tackle him or whatever it needs to be. It looked like it. I mean, he was, he was like, this guy was visibly kind of upset. Yep. And he was, he kept, as he asked a question, he kept walking closer and closer to me. Yep. And I could see Patrick. I saw you like moving. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm definitely always trying to like anticipate something. Um, but it always is kind of that. I would definitely run into the fire trying to protect. Yeah. That's just my natural instinct more so than, okay, if this is our will, then fine. Um, And, and not say, I guess, yeah, it's helpful to know. Cause I definitely started to like on, for sure on Saturday night, I was kind of beating myself up of like, no, again, I want to be by the window and see everything that's about to happen versus... No, I think you're right. Okay. Yeah. And there's, there's a great... I read... Um, Joseph Pieper is, is a great author that a lot of us know who was a Catholic philosopher in Germany, post-World War II era. And he is uh, a great Thomist. So St. Thomas Aquinas, he, he, for many of us who don't love just straight reading Aquinas, which has actually grown on me because I'm such a dork. But if you don't love reading the Summa, because it feels like a phone book. Joseph Pieper's your man. But Pieper, he talks about courage this way. And he's so good. And he, he's just distilling Aquinas. But really what he's, he talks about is courage is necessary for the Christian life. And the courage is that willingness to suffer for what's good. But it doesn't mean that you should sacrifice. It's so easy to caricature these things. Courage does not mean fatalism. Well, I can't really do anything to stop the shooting, so I'm just going to run into the, the spray of bullets. Yep. That's stupid. That's not courage. Courage is when we've, we've done our best to assess a situation. There's, we know there's going to be hardship and, and potential suffering, maybe even death. Martyrdom is the ultimate fulfillment of courage. But... Yeah, if, if there's a if there's an active shooter walking in or something, I mean, this I don't think this was this group for sure, but but like if your wife and kids are in danger, and you can take that person out, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's and I think that's an important role for husbands. I think we have this caricature sometimes in the world of Christians as weak. Yeah, actually, Christians are supposed to be tremendously strong. Our faith is supposed to be say that gives us courage to face hard situations measured and with the wisdom and, and kind of the guidance of, of what the church teaches. So I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here, I guess. But if, if you're hearing me right, I don't, I don't think that I'm not a big advocate for guns. I'm just not. Yeah. Um, Some of you will disagree with me and that's okay. Uh, We can still be friends even though you're wrong. (laughs) Um, I just, there's something to me that just doesn't make a lot of sense for a Christian to own a gun. Uh, military is one thing that makes sense. Uh, and a lot of people disagree with me. Fine. I don't want to talk about that, I guess, but I just think Christians though are supposed to be very courageous. 
Yeah. We're not supposed to be doormats. We're not supposed to be just kind of pushovers. We're supposed to know what we believe. And if that moment comes where we're called to lay our lives down, then we should do it with strength and courage to the best of our ability. Hence, hence no gun, ninja star. Ninja star. <laughs> that's catechism. That's, that's the 18th paragraph in the catechism. <laughs> no guns, but ninja star. Psalm 93. Um, so uh, to wrap it up, so in my cow situation, if it's more, I, I don't even want to say peaceful scenario, but being able to kind of um, reconfirm the baptism and your beliefs and all that kind of stuff and praying for somebody. What about in that situation? Would it be appropriate? Somebody comes in, you've defended yourself and, and those around you, your family, and it, they died in the situation. Mm-hmm. Would it be a Christian thing to do then pray for them in that like they came in and tried to do a horrific act. Yeah. And then. Yeah, for sure. It'd be good. I mean, you think of, it would be, be very really hard, hard to do. I was going to say, it'd be yeah. very, very hard to do, you know, but if, but if you had someone come in and attack your family at your home or something, whatever it might be. And the intruder died. Uh, yeah. I mean, saying you think of um, St. Stephen being stoned in Acts of the Apostles. Uh, when he dies, he mimics Jesus' prayer, praying for his enemies. Right? And okay. Jesus dies okay. on the cross. Yep. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, that's the ideal. Right. Right? In that day. But that, that's not easy. That would be extremely difficult. Um, even, I mean, even the same as, um, oh, Saint. Oh, man. She was killed. Hispanics have the painting in their house that I love. Maria Goretti. Yes. And like in the sense of her mom. That that story is insane. It's insane, but very inspirational. I, I don't know if I would ever get to that point. That's an incredible Accepting the person I killed my daughter, but, um, yeah, I mean, super powerful topic. It, uh, death, is an interesting thing. And, um, I think most importantly for me is, is trying to just, again, live in the moment of really focusing on what's important because it could happen yeah. at any time. Yeah. And remember your death momentum, Maury. That's right. You're going to die someday. And it's good for us to think about that. I, when I finished, I finished Cardinal Newman's, um, essay on the development of doctrine. Mm. Uh, great piece. That yeah. was just a <laughs> phenomenal piece. Yeah. But he finishes the book. Actually, we grab it. We'll end with this. Is that brown book, second shelf from the top. Yep, there it is. Read the very last lines. It's, and Newman. Word on, word on Fire emblem. It is. Word on Fire published this uh, copy, oh, this, this edition. Nailed it. it. Yeah. So Cardinal Newman, he, he converted to Catholicism, or at least made the decision to do when he was writing this book. But St. John Henry Newman. What, is this the, what you underlined right here? Wrap yeah. not yourself. Round in the associations of years past, nor determine that to be the truth which you wish to be so, nor make an idol of cherished anticipation. Time is short, eternity is long. Do you want me to finish Bam. this? Yeah. Then it says, Nunc Demetrius Servum uh, Tum. That's, de- that's the Latin, Nunc Dimittis. <laughs> That's, this is where you lose me. This sorry. is all Catholic material. That's, that Latin is, that's the, uh, from Simeon in the gospel of Luke. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. 
but it's but I love that line. Yeah. Time is short, eternity is long. And basically Newman, this whole book has been arguing about there is one church of God. And don't just cling to your little party that broke off from the Catholic Church because you're it's familiar or comfortable. Right. Time is short, eternity is long. Fear God. Isn't that great? Oh man. Okay. Okay. Well, everybody, we've been getting a lot of emails. We are going through them. Thank you. Love you guys. I Thanks for listening. The, we had another one that I was super powerful. Who wrote that? That was that. Uh, who did write that? Uh, it's Valeria Moo. I would love to get to that one too. Yeah. So we'll I think, hopefully I'm pronouncing your name correctly, but uh, Valeria, we are, you had a wonderful question. We're going to get to that. In the queue. It's, I mean, it's getting really fun that seriously write in your questions because now it's something that we can dive into and we're like, man, we got to get to this instead of just us buffoons trying to figure out something to ramble about and fun. So rant at lordsdenver.org. Um, thank you for all the support. Yep. All right, everybody. Father Sean, my assistant priest, he has this great line, kind of drives me nuts. But he always, so in Latin, if you want to say peace be with you, you say pox tecum. And he always says, Pox mecum, which means peace be with me. <laughs> and he always says that to me whenever he leaves a room. So that's awesome. Pox mecum. Pox mecum. See ya. <laughs>